0: Let us pray. Dear Lord, indeed, as we have just sung with you, all things are possible. There is nothing impossible for you, Lord. As we come now at this moment, at this hour, just quieten our hearts and light up our souls so that we are able to see your light in the midst of this present darkness. We pray, Lord, that your your mighty power might be displayed first in us, then in our families, in our communities, in our country, in our world. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being called your sons and daughters. The gift of adoption, forgiveness of sins, and the eternal redemption, that you have purposed us, Lord. We're not an accident. You have called us even before the creation of the world. It's hard to get our heads around this, Lord, but we want to praise you, for salvation is of you and you alone. Amen. The seal from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 to 14, and this is part 5 in our series on Ephesians. So as we return to this wonderful epistle, uh, we, we come to the last few verses of the great summary of this letter, which Paul gives us from verses three to fourteen. This big chunk of scripture, where there is no commas or you know full stops in the original language, and here the apostle Paul just pours it all out in a in one continuous, pregnant statement. All these tremendous themes which will then be opened up in the rest of the letter. And he will return to these again and again. He tells us what God has done, what he is doing and what he will do in our lives, in our world. In other words, God is active. He's not sleeping, he's active, he's at work. Jesus told us, my father is always at work. To this very day, he said, and I too am working. From John five seventeen. Can this be true? Can this be true with what is happening today in Ukraine, in Myanmar? Well, since creation... Despite our rebellion, the universe runs according to the laws of God, not according to the laws of men. God has many spanners in his toolbox and he will use them when he needs to. The evil in man rises to a certain level and he says, enough. Our parliaments might pursue peace and enact treaties and laws and world leaders continue to sign pieces of paper, but in the end, it is the the sovereign will of God that will stand. And, And this is what these opening verses are about. God's will, his good pleasure and his ultimate purposes. And as believers, we, we are we are included. We're not excluded. We're included in his purposes. And, and, we, and we need to, therefore, uh, just appreciate just how much the triune God works in our lives, has worked, is working, and will work. The Father chose us and called us before the foundation of the world. Then we have seen how the son last week we spoke about this how the son has redeemed us in his death and we have received the forgiveness of our sins. In the passage we're looking at today we are we transition from the work of the father the son and now to the work of the holy spirit. So make it easy the headlines this morning are easy sign sealed and delivered. Sign verses 11 to 12. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. When you sign a document, or put our name to something, we are agreeing with the words in the document, the letter, the terms of the contract, whatever it might be. But as life would have it, we don't always have the ability to put our, to, to actually fulfil what we have put our name to. It could be because of our negligence, we forgot to pay the bill, the home loan, whatever it is, the credit card. Or it could be because we lost our jobs, because of adverse circumstances beyond our control that we find ourselves in need. Regardless of whether it's your fault or external circumstances, that what you have signed makes, holds you accountable. Because you have put your name to it. But unlike us, it's good to know that when God puts his name to something, there is no chance, no luck, no exceptional circumstances, no change of ideas or plans. Whatever happens, it gets done by him. Whatever he has put his name to, it will be done. He will accomplish his purposes. Now, there are interesting variations in the translation of this verse. While the NIV has, in him we, we are also chosen, the, the King James Version has, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. While others have, in whom we are also made an inheritance. So, there's a different ver- uh, translation because it's a very complex Greek structure in the original language this was written. And so therefore all of these translations are actually possible. But the good thing is that it's all true. It's all true. In Christ we are chosen. In Him we are all, we ourselves have a wonderful inheritance in Christ. And we are also an inheritance to Christ. So Christ is our inheritance and we are an inheritance to Christ. This is why Jesus said, all those the Father gives me will come to me. All the Father gives me will come to me in John 6.37. In other words... The Son is the Father's gift to us, and we in turn are the Father's gift to the Son. You with me? And when you think of the price He paid for us, you begin to understand just how valuable we are to Him. Well, what does that mean in practical terms? Well, it should apply to all, absolutely every area of our lives, both spiritual and physical, both present and eternal. So, let's, in the light of all of this, let's try and complain a little less about our lot in life. In all things be Thankful for it is the Father's will in Christ. It is he who has has placed us where we are and, and allotted to us the challenges we have that we face in order that in the hurt, in the heartache, in the suffering and the joy and the sorrow and the blessing and the riches and the poverty... In the sickness and the health, in the brokenness, in the wholeness, whatever they may be, the life of Jesus be released in and through that situation. This is why it says here that he works out everything, everything in conformity with the purpose of his will sounds very similar to Romans 8:28 because wh- why why do we have to go through all this? because our rebellious hearts have to be brought into line have to be molded have to be shaped have, be, have to be chiseled in order so in order to conform to his purposes They have to go through this process of regeneration, which is often painful. We tend to grow a lot more through the pain than through the good times. It's just the way it is, folks. Why? Because God has to destroy the old in order to bring in the new. Paul, the Apostle Paul, experienced this personally in his, in his own life. And even from the moment of his calling, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Why? Because at that moment of his conversion on the road to Damascus, God already began the process not only to, to infuse in him his power and, 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 and mould him because he was going to use him in such a powerful way, but he has to destroy some of the old stuff that was still hanging around with the Apostle Paul. And it was painful. And a lot of this stuff had to be literally beaten out of him. Through whips and stones. Well, that's not very nice. What would God do that? Because he's got higher purposes. This life is not all there is. There is much more. On the other side, there is much more. In 2 Corinthians 4.10, this is what the Apostle Paul says. And and this sounds, this, you know, it's a bit hard to relate to it, but when I just described this, this is how you can explain it. We always carry around in our body... The death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. We carry death, we carry life. We want to focus on the life and not so much on the death, but folks, that's the reality of this world we live in. So signed, and now the ceiling in verse thirteen. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believe, you were marked in him with a seal, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now I want to pull back a bit to highlight something that appears in this text and in other texts in the the scripture. Two things which are often found together is the word of truth and the spirit. The word of truth and the spirit. Not only do they work together, but both are indispensable as there is no salvation without them. Therefore, it is a a mistake to emphasize one and exclude the other. In some churches, they believe we don't need the word because the Spirit's guidance within us is what really matters. All we need to do is trust our feelings within because God will speak to us through them. In other churches, the emphasis is on the word alone. This often results in formal, mechanical, ritualistic services and the people often go home the way they came, empty and dry. As a result, Christians simply live out their Christian life because of a sense of duty with no motivation, no hunger, no passion, no love, no warmth, no joy and ultimately no life. This is why in the scriptures we we always find them both together. It is there, it is in the scriptures that we we learn of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, and in turn it is the Spirit that brings to us the word of life to help us grow and to establish us on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And this is why, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, and most of you here this morning or whether you're listening to us or watching us online, will we'll need to know this, that there are three experiences which are fundamental as, we, as, as, as to how we have come to know Jesus Christ or how he has been revealed to us. Firstly, hearing the message of truth. Hearing the message of truth. And this is what he, he refers to here. He says, when you heard the message of truth... The world in which Paul lived and wrote was a, a world similar in, in many ways to the world it is today. Sure, it was 2,000 years ago, but it was still, it was very much filled, as we've done in our introduction, it was filled with all kinds of twisted, distorted ideas and lifestyles. Pretty bad stuff. Into this darkness enters the truth of the gospel. When that happens, the, the, slight, the, the, the light is switched on. We've just sung about that. When God enters in, the light is switched on in the darkness, and people get to see and, and suddenly get in touch with reality. You begin to once again see things as they really are. And we have to be honest that when we share God's truth because we, we say good news of the gospel but within the good news is also bad news. Let's be honest, okay, in our presentation when we tell others about Jesus. There is that unpleasant news, the, the, the bad news because it describes the true condition of men and women in our world. It explains, it has an explanation for the evil that we see today. The brokenness, the pain. What we are seeing, what we are witnessing today, now, even on our screens, are glimpses of the wrath of God. Wrath can also mean removal of restraint. Restraint. History shows us that many times because of the wickedness of man, God allows human evil to run its course and believers, his people, are caught up in that. In Ukraine, that's my father's homeland where he was born, today, by the grace of God, there are many wonderful Bible-believing Christians, many Baptist churches, many people who love God, like, it's amazing what what God has done over there. And you sort of think, well, why doesn't God care about them? Yes, He does. Just like He cared for the Israelites, some of the people He loved. There were a lot of good people when Nebuchadnezzar and his army came in it's history, guys. God allows human evil to run its course and believers are, are, are caught up in that. You get swept with a wave. The good news of the gospel is that God still loves us. He hasn't forgotten us. Remember our first reading from Hosea? He entered our humanity with all its sorrow and pain and bore our sin on the cross and paid the penalty for our evil, not his, ours. So that's the message of the gospel. That's the gospel, the honest gospel. Secondly, believing it, believing it. It says the gospel of your salvation. And then it says... When you believed, when you believed, so th- th- we have to believe it. To believe means to accept it as truth and to act accordingly. You have you have never really believed something unless something is changed in your experience, in your, in your life. If you say that you hold something to be true, but go on living exactly in contradiction to what you believe, you're a hypocrite. In these verses, the Apostle Paul mentions the Lord Jesus Christ 15 times. It's pretty central. This is a Christological statement, what he's done here. He's constantly bringing him before us because God wants to drive home to our hearts this great fact. There is no way that you can have blessing from God apart from a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have to hear the message of the truth. You have to believe it, which is what the Ephesians did. And thirdly, this is sealed. Sealing it. Perhaps today the word, let me explain. Perhaps today the word seal is is not all that common. But you know, um, it is actually practice. We might not use the word all that often, but the idea and principle is still there. For example... A small lead seal, about that big, and a thin wire is placed on the doors of shipping containers to make sure that the contents of the cargo have not been interfered with from when it was packed and when it is delivered. Now you say, well, a little thin wire like that with, with some oppressed lead, is that, is that all it takes to make sure that the contents are uh, you know, are there? I would have used chains, right? Humongous locks and all that stuff. And they probably do that as well, but the ultimate proof is whether the seal has been broken or not. Perhaps we are a little bit more familiar. We don't always have shipping containers being delivered to our front door. A bit of a logistical problem. We're more familiar with a cardboard box with tape around it, which also serves as a seal to protect the integrity of the box rather than for security purposes because tape is just, is not really safe anyway. You just put a knife and just cut it. But the fact that it's taped, it tells you that this hasn't been opened. So the use of a seal always has two specific ideas. The first is ownership. Uh, It's possessed by the individual who owned the seal. And this is what Paul is saying here, that when God sent the Holy Spirit into your life, the moment you believe, it was a mark that you belong to him. Remember the words of 1 Corinthians, you are not your own, you have been bought with a price. And you say, Well, this is my life. No, it's not, actually. Think about that statement. No. You are not your own. Second, so first is ownership and second it's preservation. So for example, that the tomb of Jesus was, was sealed with Pilate's seal, and Pilate was under the authority from Rome, from the Roman emperor, so in effect the seal that was put on Jesus' tomb was the seal of the highest authority on the empire, the seal of the emperor. That seal was, the intention was to keep the tomb intact, without intrusion, without destruction. No one, no one would dare break the seal of the emperor because it was punishment for death, there was no questions asked. So notice the the order of these three important spiritual steps that are mentioned here. There is no sealing apart from hearing and believing. And there is no believing apart from hearing. So the three steps are very plain and clear, right? There's more about this in Romans 10. Hearing, believing, sealing. Once you're sealed, you don't have to go on the rest of your life wondering, you know, he loves me, he loves me not, you know, am I saved, am I not? You're sealed. Secure. I'm not saying it, he's saying it. The Lord. Signed, sealed, and lastly delivered. Verse 14, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance, until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise, to the praise of His glory. Nowadays, when I'm waiting for a parcel that I have ordered online or purchased, I get a message on my phone from Australia Post or some somebody else who's telling me that at what stage of delivery. Uh, the, the, the parcel is at. After I receive it, I also get a message telling me the fact that I've just confirmed that I've just the parcel has been delivered. After receiving it I naturally make sure that tape is sealed uh, is sealed and, and the tape is, is fact there, that he, it is intact, that nobody helped themselves to the content of the parcel. And that everything inside the parcel is as per the description of the product that I purchased. It's easy enough to understand. On a spiritual level, the Spirit's presence in our lives means that God is going to keep us. It is a guarantee of our inheritance now, but it is also a promise, a guarantee that something more substantial he's going to deliver on his words is going to deliver something even more substantial in the future. Now, in Greek, in the original Greek, the word for guarantee is arabon, which means a down payment. So when you buy a property, we know of this experience as well, you pay a 10% deposit on exchange of contracts. And the final payment is due upon delivery at settlement. That's when they give you the keys and you own the property and the hundreds of thousands or millions that you owe on the place. It's also interesting that in in modern Greek, that word has carried on, but it has another similar meaning but different. This term arabon is used for an engagement ring an engagement ring. So when a boy gives a girl an engagement ring, he is giving her a guarantee that one day she is going to be his bride. That's, what's, that's the meaning of the Arabon. That is what Paul is, says that God has done with us. We are his possession. The araban means that he is going to come back again and claim us as his purchased possession. When we die, our soul goes to heaven, but you would have noticed that our body remains on the earth. And even though we don't want to pay too much attention to our bodily remains, cremated or buried, We are still very much, our body, whatever you do with it, is still very much God's possession. It's not yours. Come on, Paul. That's ridiculous. Who cares about the body? Well, read the scriptures. One day he will actually come back at the resurrection and when the dead in Christ will rise first. We sang about is what we believe in the resurrection. He comes back to claim The whole thing. Well, what about those who have been cremated? Well, the God who created the universe out of nothing. I'm pretty sure he's got it all worked out. It's still physical, whether it's dust or whether it's been transformed into gases, whatever it is, it's still something physical that he will put together in the end times. This will complete the whole transaction from beginning to end. Read Thessalonians. So what he has begun, what he has promised, he will accomplish. This is why the Bible tells us in Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. This is when the final delivery will take place. Again, it's worth repeating. The present guarantee, how do we know it's going to happen? Because we already have the guarantee, we already have the deposit, we already have the Arabon. That the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, Holy Spirit is, it tells us, you are mine now. The Spirit himself is God's seal. He marks you out, He identifies you, and He keeps you and protects you. And you are his. Now we note that this is the third time in this passage, in this wonderful passage, that the Apostle Paul uses the phrase, to the praise of his glory in the passage, right? To the praise of his glory. Now these marvellous words are obviously in a collision course with man's insatiable appetite for personal praise. For his own glory. That at last, after all the rewards, after all the hours of training, he stands up on the podium, he stands up on the stage and people are just clapping and they just want more and more and they throw the roses and the accolades your way and they praise you and you are in glory. You think that it's all centred on you at that stage. You've reached the pinnacle Whatever it is, popularity, stardom, power. So you don't have to be Putin or Xi Jinping to to want glory. Right? You don't have to be them. But they certainly display it at the moment. But it's actually, the, 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 the hunger for glory is actually a lot closer than that. It's in all of us because we all want to sit in our own little thrones And think that we are the kings of the castle. But only God is glorious. And he will not share his glory with anyone. What is the glory of God? John Stott says the glory of God is his revelation. And the glory of his grace is his self-disclosure as a gracious God. This is displayed in the, in, 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 in the work of each of the members of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In accomplishing the work of our salvation, the three of them work together to save you and me. And, and after each declaration, after the Father, after the Son, and after the Holy Spirit, you will now read it again. You will say it ends up with to the praise of his glory. Delivered from sin, from trials, from death. And one day we will be delivered from this wretched body. Perfect before the throne of God. And it was all his work. All your self-improvements, all your diets, all that stuff that you did had nothing to do, ultimately had nothing to do with you. It was all God working through you. But it was all Him. It begins in His will, in His will, before the creation of time, and it ends in His glory. begins in His will and ends in His glory. Beginning, the Alpha, and end, the Omega, it is all God. So, What does it all mean, Paul? Well, at the very least, wouldn't it be great that when we wake up in the morning, instead of saying, good Lord, it's morning, (laughs) instead of saying that, we say, good morning, Lord. Let me finish with some of the reasons why you should feel and know and experience this. Well, I'm a child of God. I have been forgiven of my sins. I'm accepted and adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus. He has marked me out as his own for all of eternity. He has put his spirit within me who strengthens and guides me. Therefore, I can take whatever life throws at me because I have him and the fullness of his life is in me. And that is where we find our purpose, that is where we find our identity. The Christian cannot say, I don't know who I am. You know, it's here. You just have to believe it and live according to it. Because you are sealed, you are marked, you are his. Folks, there is no other ground upon which we can stand. Let us all praise him for his glory, as the Apostle Paul is saying to us. And let's finish with this exclamation. Sole Deo Gloria. To him be all glory. Amen.